Hello and welcome to Food to Go, the new food podcast. I'm Bethan Grills, and as always, I'm joined by my co host, Joshua Minchin. And today we're bringing you a special mini sode in honor of our upcoming summit, the Food Safety Conference. That is absolutely right, Beth. And do you know what? I'm absolutely buzzing for this because it's the first time in, what, three years? Mm. Which is horrible that we've hosted an in-person event and what a venue we've got for you. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that, Oh, what a, setup, what a segue. Oh, I know, almost like we planned it because I had a Twickenham Stadium-themed quiz for you. And that's where our event will be held across the 5th and 6th of October. See what I did there? I like that a lot. And I'll tell you what else I like, a quiz. Pretty mean around the uh, the pub quiz scene. So I fancy my chances here. <laughs> they don't call you Josh a pub quiz for nothing. No, no they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> I've got a feared name around these parts. So that's what you've got for me. Twickenham is the second largest stadium in the UK. But what's the first? Uh, Wembley. Has to be. That is correct. And we've even upped the budget to include some dings. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Question number two. I think they might get tougher, actually, as they go on. So, Twickenham is the largest dedicated rugby union venue in the world. But what's the largest stadium rugby is played in? Right. So, Twickenham's the largest that was just built for rugby. That's what you mean. Yeah. And there's another one that rugby's played in that's bigger that's the question that is was it not clear <laughs> it was clear but i just wanted to make sure i thought they played rugby at wembley maybe that's rugby league i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for the olympic stadium in sydney which i think is called stadium australia and our buzzer says oh, that's not right is it no it's the fnb stadium in johannesburg very interesting that's i think that's the old world cup Final stage in 2010, I believe. Soccer City. I just know these answers. Nothing else. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> All right, question number three. Come on, you can bring it back. You've got one right so far. <laughs> what was the venue used for? This is Twickenham Stadium again. What was it used for originally, which gave it a food-related nickname? I think I know this. I think I know this because... Uh, cabbages, because they call it the Cabbage Patch. Yes! There we go. Okay, two questions right. Okay, bit of history for you. I love history, yes. So you better get it right. I will. <laughs> when did Twickenham Stadium open? Oh, God. Um, love a bit of history, do you? They had the centenary there recently. Oh, just how recently is it? I think I was in secondary school and they had the centenary game. So I think that's going to be 1912. Oh, you cut the tension with a knife. Is it going to be Ken Bruce one year out? Is that what it's going to be? It's 1909. Oh, no, I'm not far, that's pretty good logic, that. It wasn't far away, did yeah, it? Do I get yeah. half? No. Oh. <laughs> right, you've got two, two right so far and two wrong. Okay. But you've got six questions, so you could, you could still bring this back. Question number five. The first international match played at Twickenham Stadium was in 1910. England won, but do you know who they beat? 1910, so it's going to be one of Scotland, Wales, Australia, or New Zealand, I reckon. I reckon they might have had the Aussies over. I think England beat Australia. No. Oh. No, no, no. I mean, it hurts my heart, but they beat Wales. 
Yeah, I'm not unhappy that that's the answer. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, but I am unhappy that I got it wrong. All right, come on, come on. Question number six is your final question. It's another history one. During World War One, what was the venue's grounds used for? So during the war. Mm-hmm. Do you want a bit of a clue? Yeah. Farmers will like the answer. Okay, oh, that, yeah, that would confirm what I thought. I was thinking during the war, war effort, food. Oh, I'm going to go carrots. Carrots? Yeah, like growing carrots. It's a hearty British root veg, you know, like see in the dark, that kind of vibe. Carrots. So you think the venue was I reckon used, they grew carrots there. They grew carrots yeah, well, and cabbages. Like, well, cabbages before it was... It was a cabbage patch before it was built, and then I reckon they thought, I'll tell you what, that soil must be very, very fertile. They were growing cabbages. We'll, we'll, we'll whack some carrots down there. Carrots. No, that is wrong. Oh, so answer then. <laughs> the answer is for grazing cattle, horses, sheep. I don't think a million miles off there. You no, make it sound like, no, said, like it was used to go to the moon. Like, no, 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 no. Well, I think that's, that's all right. Is that, what's that, two out of five? R- wrong. I think it was... Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's not horrendous. And, do you know, you... I mean, if, even if you had one, you know what you would have got? I'd imagine not a lot. Absolutely nothing. nothing. Less than not a lot. <laughs> um, well, there you go. If you played at home and you got all five, the editors informed me there's no budget, so you also win absolutely nothing for that as well. So well done. Five? There were six questions. Well, that's, yeah, you go. <laughs> you got that one wrong as well. <laughs> Minus points of the quiz. Um, no, I enjoyed that a lot, Bethan. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. Bit of history thrown in. I do, I'm a big, big, massive fan of rugby, so I've been to Twickenham a couple of times for the rugby. Been for a concert. It is a beautiful venue. We did have a chance to look around, didn't we? Mm, um, we did. You sat in the changing rooms. <laughs> that makes me sound like a creep. <laughs> They're not there. There weren't any players in there. I did have to explain who Johnny Wilkinson was to Bethan when she no. sat in his chair. So that's no, you. That, that was that alarmed me. That is a lie, outright lie. I think there was someone else, but no, no, that it's not Johnny. No, not Johnny. No, I remember Johnny. <laughs> no, it was great. We had we got, we got to go on a tour. If you're lucky enough to attend to in October, you might even get to see some parts of the ground that mm. not many other people get to see. Yeah. We're really, really excited. It's such a beautiful venue. I should add, we're not on the pitch presenting to 85,000. Our events are really, really successful, but I think we don't quite pull the crowds in like U2 or the Rolling Stones. So <laughs> we'll be in the conference rooms, but you might even get to see a bit of the pitch, the changing rooms. So yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And also there is an amazing, I'm hoping we, we can go back in there at some point, but on the tour that we went to, there was an amazing secret little- um, Oh, the little wine bowl. Yeah. Which, and I, maybe I'll spoil it. I will spoil it just in case you can't go because I think it's a really great fact. There are these wooden crests of all the rugby playing nations on the wall. So Australia, England, South Africa, etc., etc. And the only one missing is the crest from New Zealand because it was pinched by the New Zealand team who won the <laughs> Rugby World Cup final at Twickenham in 2015. I would hazard a guess they'd sampled some of the bottles of wine in the vault and maybe thought it was a good idea to take it home. Nobody's owned up. So yeah, Rich and McCall, if you're listening, Twickenham would very much like their wooden crest back. <laughs> really interesting to get to you had to go through the kitchens yeah very secret and the kind chap who showed us around said that's why they used it for a bit of celebration for the players after the final because it was sort of away from the press away from the crowds and they could just enjoy their achievement so yeah really cool hopefully yeah hopefully we can show people around that as well i think that fact that you just gave there redeems your poor effort in the quiz yeah it's worth a couple of points isn't it it is worth a couple of points but you still win absolutely nothing absolutely nothing you Um, can maybe earn more respect (laughs) good so yeah, we're really excited for Twickenham itself as a venue. It's very, very prestigious. We've also got two very prestigious guests to invite on the podcast in just a second who are going to be delivering our keynote speeches at the conference. But before we welcome them here, 
I want to know, I'll ask a question, I want to know what the new food editor is most excited about the conference. Well, actually, it is it's the fact that we're going to be there in person. I've really missed the atmosphere that physical events bring. We've got some amazing speakers. Some of these people I've known for years and I've never actually got to meet them. Mm. And the fact that I'm going to be able to, you know, shake the hand and say hello and 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 just also be in such an iconic venue. We've got some brilliant sessions as well. And I'm just really looking forward to, to hearing them. One in particular that I think is going to be really interesting is our debate on use by dates. Mm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, but, you know, but there are so many sessions. We've got two days and I'm just, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to steal your word. I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. I'm also going to put on my LinkedIn profile that I've played at Twickenham as well. I thought you were going to put, I'm also going to put, I'm buzzing. No, 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 no. I might put that I've played at Twickenham. I just forget to mention that it wasn't for England rugby, but no one has to know. The facts of the matter are that I have delivered an event or participated in an event at Twickenham Stadium, it all rude. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say played it. Played is a bit strong. Yeah. Know, maybe, yeah, maybe a bit strong. Okay, so why don't we tell the listeners a little bit about the themes of the conference? Yeah, great. So we've got, as Beth said, we've got two days. And we've grouped each day around particular themes. So on day one, we're looking into the present. So we're looking at the sort of current risks that we're, that we're facing at the moment. And then day two, we're getting our crystal balls out and looking into the future. So again, we'll be looking at sort of the risks that are emerging on the horizon, what the different challenges that climate change might present. Yeah, it's a look into the future. I can't promise that it's going to be that optimistic, <laughs> if I'm honest. But important nonetheless. And no, there are no, there are optimistic bits, aren't there? There's plenty of innovation happening. It's really, really exciting. So I think day two is going to be maybe a bit of a reality check, but there'll be some cause for hope too. Uh, yeah, and you know we're also going to be looking at not just the challenges, but the opportunities Absolutely. as well. And what I always love about our conferences is that the speakers that we gather together, they're not just talk; they actually do create actions. And what I'm hoping is that we do bring together, you know, not just the panels, but also our delegates. And we get the industry collaborating a little bit more to find solutions for some of the obstacles that we highlight. I think you're spot on, Beth. And we've been joking, we've been developing sort of uh, things that we're most excited about lists. And, and I always put food at the top of them. I am very excited about the food on offer. Don't do it wrong. That's probably second or third <laughs> on the buffet. list. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in all seriousness, it's a great opportunity to, to share some plate of food, share a drink with somebody, have a chat, and yeah, connect with people that you just wouldn't meet maybe in your day-to-day -day role, but might have some really, really important information for you that you can share. Or you might be able to give in some of something yourself that you work on. So I'm really excited for that. It's great to talk to people in person again. I love Zoom. I love Microsoft Teams, don't get me wrong, but nothing better than just speaking to somebody face-to-face, -face, is there? No, no, you're absolutely right. And what's also brilliant is that the event is international. People are flying over. They're flying in, yeah. They're getting the train. It's going to be great. On that note, shall we introduce our two keynote speakers? Absolutely. Okay, so day one's keynote speaker is joining us and we've got Anna Taylor. She's the executive director of the Food Foundation. And on day two, we'll have Alec Kirikides, who is a seasoned food safety professional. No pun intended there, but <laughs> put simply, Alec's got a wealth of experience within the food safety sector. I'm really looking forward to hearing what he's got to say. Welcome, Anna and Alec. It's lovely to have you. 
Hello. Thanks, Beth. <laughs> nice to be here. Right. Well, we're going to go right into it, Anna, and ask you as a, quite a big question, really. Your, your keynote is entitled A Broken System. What does that mean? And is the system broken? Well, that's a good question because I think in many ways the system that we have at the moment is miraculous in terms of what it achieved. I mean, we only really need to look back through the pandemic where, you know, the whole world was jolted into a massive shock and the food system in Britain, at least, held up pretty well. We had perhaps a couple of weeks with some a few empty shelves, but it was given that everybody shifted from sort of hospitality to buying from retail and all the implications of that for supply chains, it was really, really quite remarkable. I think, and what we've got really is a food system that was set up, became industrialised after the war and was really geared at securing food security at a national and to a large extent international level. And we've been incredibly successful in doing that. The problem that we've now got, though, is that we actually need the food system to be not just delivering food security, but also to be helping us to mitigate climate change and helping us to protect our health and to improve public health. And that's really where the system is at the moment falling down and where we need to set some new goals for our ambition for a food system which delivers that range of, of public goods and, and work out what are the new incentives that are needed within the system to orient activity in that direction. And you mentioned goals there. What kind of goals are we looking at there? Well, I mean, one of the things which the Independent Review for the National Food Strategy, which was published in the UK about a year ago now, one of the things it recommended was to set in legislation a good food bill. And the, the thinking behind that was that it would set out quite clearly what our ambitions are for the food system. So it might be things like, well, we want the food system to contribute to a certain proportion of our net zero target or our biodiversity targets, or we want to reduce or increase healthy life expectancy, which is currently being dragged down by diet-related disease. And so you could set out some quite clear goals for the food system that would help to then you could then layer up specific policy interventions and business activity under those goals to help align activity in a new direction. Okay, and Alec, I mean, your keynote, you're kicking us off on day two, and that's all about sort of the future challenges and, and opportunities. Focused on the, the former there, what risks do you foresee on the horizon? Well, actually, just following up from Anna, I, I think that I'd start by saying that the, the pressures on the food system at the moment are pretty unprecedented. And it's actually quite unusual, you know, to be under so much pressure for so long without any let up. You know, if you think about, you know, the industry has gone through Brexit to Covid to war in Ukraine to an energy crisis, labour shortages, and there literally hasn't been a gap to regroup. And it's actually quite worrying in that context in terms of the pressure is so relentless. And so I guess in, in my presentation, I want to take stock a bit and think about what this means for food security in the context of food safety in particular. 
And so I'll be exploring the typical food safety risks from microbes, chemicals, physical contaminants and, and the like, together with aspects that I think come to the fore because of where we are on things like authenticity and adulteration, look at some of the trends and what that might mean for future control. I'm also very keen to explore some of the kind of technology-enabled food innovations and, and, and what that means in terms of food safety risks and control. So I'm, I'm referring to things like 3D printed meat, cell cultured produced milk, vertical farming. They're all significant potential disruptors um, to the food production market. And, and also with new entrants, they bring quite a lot of new risks. So, you know, those are kind of the initial things that, um, that I'll be looking at um, at the session. I think that's really interesting, Alec, and I think it's really interesting that you both mentioned the state the food systems in at the moment as, as a base from which to, to go from. So, I don't know, I'll direct this with you first of all. It's quite a big question. Is our food system fit for purpose at the moment as you see it? Well, no, I don't think it is, to be honest. I think, I mean, notwithstanding the points that Alex made about, of course, the, I don't, in, not in any way making light of the pressures which the food system is under at the moment and and fully acknowledge them, but I think... At the same time, citizens and communities in Britain, I'm focused on that, obviously, there's different stories from around the world, are also really experiencing some of the worst effects of the food system at the moment. I mean, if we just take it from a sort of diet and health perspective, really, we want food and our food system to be all about nourishing us, helping our children to grow well and thrive helping us to live into older age with healthy immune systems and in good health, active into, into older age. But at the, at the moment, you know, about typically about half of our calories, really across all demographics, are, are come from foods which are very high in energy density, but often very low in their nutrient value. Um, they're not the types of foods which are really you know nourishing us in that complete sense and I think just to start with I would be saying well how do we get to the point where healthy tasty convenient food is the most affordable like what are the incentives needed in the system that make those choices the easy choices it's not about banning stuff not about forcing people to eat things they don't want to eat but at the moment, the consumers really need to do the heavy lifting in order to secure that kind of outcome, whether it's they need to pay more money or they need to work harder to secure that kind of diet and they need to have the motivation to do it. What we really needed is a system which makes that really easy and normal for people. And we haven't got that at the moment. And many businesses will say, well, we can only really achieve that with the right set mix of regulations or creating a level playing field so that there's not a commercial disincentive for companies to be the first movers. And that's something that we're really looking for the government to do. We did have a feeling that that would be your answer. So with that in mind, the next question, and I'll throw this at Alec first and then Anna, feel free to come in afterwards. If that is the case, if we're not fit for purpose at the moment, what changes must our food system make to adapt to life in, in, in the 21st century and all the challenges that that's going to bring? I'm going to come at this from a slightly different perspective. You know, I'm coming at it as, as usual from a kind of food control and a food safety side because, you know, I think that, and it builds to some extent on what Anna said, you know, we probably have the most advanced system for food and food control that has ever existed. 
but we also probably have the most complex system of supply. And so, you know, arguably we need the best system because the risk is equally at its highest and the need is at its greatest. And, you know, as an example, I guess, from a control perspective, if there's a contamination event or a fraud event somewhere in the world, it is inevitable that that's going to impact many countries and most probably ours. You take situations like salmonella in Ferrero uh, eggs recently or fipronel in, in eggs themselves. And so I guess in terms of what changes, you know, we need to see, a lot of this actually is in, or was in the Dimbleby report, to be honest, in terms of food security and um, focusing on sustainability and poverty and health. But the one area that I am amazed that is missing in a report entitled the National Food Strategy and the Government's Food Strategy is any substantive point on food safety. And, you know, and I'm bound to say, you know, we have 2.4 million, this is the Food Standards Agency data, 2.4 million cases of foodborne disease every year at a cost of £9 billion. You know, that impacts individuals immensely um, in terms of their health and well-being, and it's barely mentioned. So the biggest change for me is really to recognise that food safety is part of a national food strategy and you cannot take it for granted. You know, food is safe because of the processes and the controls that are put in place. And there's almost an implicit expectation in the, you know, with the consumer that it will be safe, but you cannot leave it to chance. It has to be in a strategy and it has to be dealt with strategically. I don't know if you heard Bethan audibly wince at that statistic. Maybe you did. <laughs> There's some scary numbers, aren't they? Anna, from your perspective, is that something that you agree with? Do you think there's even more change we need to make? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously right to point out the sort of gap on on food safety in the independent review. And I think to a large extent, that's a reflection of the, as you say, the sort of the extent to which our food has become incredibly safe, notwithstanding those scary statistics still, Alec, that you've described. But yeah, I mean, I think there's a way to go. I mean, you did mention briefly also food poverty issues. And I think it goes back. I mean, that's that's something which is particularly pressing at the moment in terms of large numbers. I mean, millions of households, according to our data, that are struggling to put food on the table. And what that means, both for safety, we know that that means that people will take higher risks with, with their food safety when they're worried about wasting food, uh, keep it for longer. I mean, people, we're hearing people turning off their fridges and things because of fuel as well, which of course is a scary prospect. But also with knock-on impact, wider impacts on their health because it's forcing them into buying the very cheapest sources of calories, which back to my earlier point means those calories are often very nutrient poor. And for children in particular who are growing, that can have really devastating consequences. Thank you so much, Alec and Anna. Some really interesting points there. I'm going to put a pause on revealing any more that could be within your presentations because people are just going to have to come down and, and you know, watch your, your keynotes. So I'm going to turn this slightly around to the event and, and ask you both, Alec, starting with you, what are you most looking forward to regards to the Food Safety Conference? Well, as you can expect, I've had a good look at the um, conference agenda and, and there are lots of topics that are very close to my heart. You know, I think particular highlights for me are going to be sessions on things like allergens and allergen labelling. There's a very interesting session on product recalls. 
in fact, I'd love to be on the panel, actually myself on, on that, having dealt with kind of hundred, hundreds of these in my time at, at Sainsbury's. I think also I, I always look forward to hearing um, Chris Elliott's views on things. So I know he's got a, a, a session he's involved in on horizon scanning. So that would be interesting and, and definitely one on used by and best before dates. And actually harks back to what um, Anna's just said in, in terms of, you know, um, are, might people compromise safety for the fact of having to have food on their plates. So literally lots of sessions and I'm, I'm interested in, I can't wait to actually get there and, and also to meet some of the, um, some of my other colleagues there. Absolutely. I think we are all going to be so excited to meet again in person. It's just going to be so just refreshing. I say this as we are connected over the internet talking, <laughs> which is wonderful, but you can't be, you know, in person networking and, and conferences. Alex, thank you so much for plugging so many of our sessions there. <laughs> Anna, what about you? What are you most looking forward to? Well, yeah, like you say, an in-person event still feels strangely like a novelty. I've done a few, but it's still something to look forward to in my book. And I suppose I like these moments because they they tend to create opportunities to meet people that I don't normally interact with and to hear different perspectives. And for me, that's that's really important because part of my job is to try and, you know, amass arguments for change, if you like, the key arguments which are compelling for why we need action to try and transform the food system. And so it's hugely helpful to get that interaction and feedback from people that I wouldn't normally interact with day to day basis. So very much looking forward to the, the bits around the talks where hopefully I get to meet lots of interesting people. Absolutely. Well, as I said, we cannot wait to to actually see you guys in person and hear from you. Thank you so much. And um, that was Anna and Alec, our two keynote speakers. And if you enjoyed this podcast, a reminder that all of our previous episodes are on the New Food website, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. We hope to see you at Twickenham Stadium in London on the 5th and 6th of October, where you can hear more from Anna and Alec. And as I said, and I keep saying, meet them in person alongside a host of other industry leaders. You can register by clicking on the link in the description. So all that's left to say is thanks very much for listening and stay tuned for more in the future.